1: Expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a twenty-four-seven support community, created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com/thrive. That's eckfeld slash thrive Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Heckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Dominic Rinaldi. He is Managing Partner at Sun Acquisitions. He's also Managing Partner at K2 Advisors. We're going to talk to him about the work he does with companies, helping them figure out how to grow through acquisition. And then once they've reached the point of wanting to exit, how he helps them with that exit event, with that liquidation event, monetizing the asset that they've developed. Interesting conversations, particularly in the service businesses, that find this, this process is so hard. Scaling service companies. Can be so difficult, and then certainly when you go to sell, you know how do you make sure that you're really creating an asset that has value that is going to be sellable that you are in the driver's seat and not you know it's something that you're controlling and driving. I just I find that's fascinating on the service side. So I'm excited to have the conversation. I'm sure there's there's lots of really interesting things we can get into on this space. So I'm curious to see what comes up with that. Dominic, welcome to the program.
0: Hey Bruce, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah. So so let's start with you, kind of your background, uh, and then we can. Of get into these topics. How did you get into the space of mergers, acquisitions, you know, helping people look at acquiring and selling companies? What got you into the space?
0: Yeah, so a couple of decades ago I found myself looking for an opportunity where I could actually buy my own business and grow it and uh, i had looked at a bunch of opportunities through intermediaries which is what i am an intermediary Mm -hmm. and i just wasn't finding what i wanted i I, just in the process that i was going through with the folks that i was working with just just wasn't seamless People didn't seem to be all that knowledgeable. I took a step back and I thought, well, geez, I I see a real need here for people uh, in the small to lower middle market to grow through acquisition or or to be able to sell their businesses and have really good representation. And I just wasn't finding it myself. And I did some research and long story short, I bought an existing M&A practice that had probably three advisors at the time and since then have built it up to 15 advisors. And we're now approaching this year, probably will uh, complete our 400th transaction uh, in that 20 year span.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, kind of meta, you know, buying and selling a company that buys and sells companies. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so uh, I guess give us a sense of um, kind of practically how does this market work? I mean, I, I think it's one of those cases where if you're in the business and you see this these transactions all the time, it's kind of second nature. But you know, for most people, even most business owners, you know, this happens once, twice, maybe three times if you're really lucky in your life. What are how does this market really work when you talk about buying and selling companies? You know, what what is the business of buying and selling Businesses?
0: Not nearly as efficient as it should. It's very yeah. fragmented. And while there's lots of knowledge out there, I find that uh, business owners don't avail themselves of all of the information that's out there. And, and if I'd say there's one real gap. In the hundreds of transactions that I've overseen, it's that people don't really prepare for their acquisition or their exit. They do some things here and there, you know, and they scratch the surface here or there, but they don't really prepare, which, you know, Bruce, is why after running Sun Acquisitions for a couple of decades, I decided to start K2 Advisor, which is all about helping people prepare for the acquisition or the exit because there's just such an opportunity there for people to maximize their value if they're selling and minimize their risk if they're buying.
1: Yeah. I'm sure you see, you know, by the time it gets to you on the sign side, you know, it's, it's at the tail end of the deal or tail end of the process where you're actually trying to cut a deal. And, you know, the things you can do to improve those situations should have happened two years ago, three years ago. And it's, it's kind of too late at that point. So yeah,
0: you hit the nail on the head. I mean, yeah. o- more often than not, people have come to us and they've reached their point at which there's no return. They, they're ready to sell. Yeah. And, you know, once you're in that frame of mind and you haven't done all the things you need to do to prepare, you're leaving money on the table. Yeah. And by the way, same thing on the acquisition side. If you've waited too long to build a plan and your back is up against the wall and you're not growing organically and acquisition is the only opportunity, if you haven't done the proper things to get ready, you're not going to maximize the value of that acquisition.
1: Yeah. Yeah. On both sides, it seems Mm -hmm. like a a little bit of forethought and a little bit of preparing can can go a long way. Let's talk a little bit about the kind of the motivations. Let's talk about the acquisition side. You know, for a company that, you know, is in acquisition mode, what why do they get in this mode? Like what are they looking to do? What's the value they're looking to create? I mean, I, I think there's always this, you know, question of, well, why not just continue to grow the company or why go out and buy a company when you could just start something on your own? What's the strategy around acquisitions?
0: Yeah, so over the last probably five years or so, the the common thread for us that we're hearing from business owners is they're having a very hard time growing organically. Um, It's hard to get market share. It's been hard to hire good talent to grow the business. And so growing organically has been a real challenge for a lot of owners. And in this low interest rate environment, with the capital markets being wide open, acquisition has become become a really good alternative to you know trying to grow organically because you can buy a business that's got a fixed, you know, client base, existing revenues, trained employees, supplier relationships, and if it's the right Business, you can plug it in pretty easily to your existing operation, and you know off you go. Now it's a lot more complicated than that because there's integration issues and cultural yeah. issues and all sorts of things. But given the low interest rate environment and capital markets, acquisitions been been a real nice opportunity for folks.
1: Yeah, and when you are thinking about the types of companies that would be good acquisition targets, what are the considerations that you know a business owner should consider? You know, a leadership team could, should consider as they're looking at acquisition. You know, in terms of the factors, you know, the criteria they should be using and, and what are some of the criteria that people typically miss when evaluating acquisition options?
0: Yeah. So, you know, typically it's you should be taking a step back and worrying less about the type of business that you want to acquire and more about your strategic plan. What are you trying to achieve? So you asked a little bit earlier, you know, why do people look to, you know, make acquisitions? It's for any number of reasons. They're either looking to pick up clients and revenue. They're looking to pick up a technology. They want geographic expansion. So it could be, you know, probably a dozen different reasons why people want to make the acquisition. So really getting crystal clear as the owner of the business along with your management team if you have a management team around why you want to make the acquisition and what it would mean to the business long term and how it would fit in and what you would do with it being really clear about that plan is so important once you're clear on your strategic plan and what you're trying to accomplish then you can start to take the next step around what types of businesses are out there that would fit into our plan would it be buying on a competitor, potentially? Would it be a no. uh, vertical integration where you're adding, you know, a value-added service to what you're already doing today? So, you know, but it all starts with the strategic plan and then you go from there.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> As a strategic coach, I would say mm-hmm. that everything everything needs to kind of lead from strategy. And because it's it's easy to see something shiny, right? It's easy to see a business that's, wow, that's a great business. We would love to be in that world, you know, and then you do an acquisition and you realize, wow, this is the way they work, their culture. You know, the customers they have are just so different from ours that it can it can easily go sideways once you get if you're really trying to integrate it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and while Bruce, while it seems so simple and so clear that everything should start from strategy, (laughs) you cannot believe the number of times we get a phone call from a client that says, my banker called me about this deal that, uh, you know, the owner might be looking to sell or I got a call from a friend and and most of these opportunities get thrown on somebody's lap. And they didn't really build the strategy, and the management team may not be on board, and they don't know what their integra- or integration strategy would be yeah. like. And so it's more opportunistic. And then, like you started to intimate, you, you could start to unravel because yeah. you didn't really build the plan.
1: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned a couple different strategies, and I'm curious to see how you kind of. There's different approaches. I mean, there's the one which is buy up the competitor, right? Which is you know I want to get more mm-hmm. market share, I want to dominate the market, I want to I want to take out you know competition. And then you talked to another one, which is integration. It's like, hey, let's let's move up or down the supply chain here. Can we buy a supplier? Maybe there's a segment, a capability that we right now we offsource currently, or we partner with another company. Can we you know just buy them and fold them into our core product? Or how do you approach them from, or do you approach them differently when? you're looking at kind of acquisitions and strategies and you know how you're going to how you're actually looking for opportunities how you evaluate those opportunities are those different or are they all part of the same kind of acquisition strategy model for you
0: No, there there certainly can be differences depending on what the client wants to achieve, you know, but once they're clear about their strategy, the next step is to really start to figure out, okay, well, what types of companies fit in, right? And so the research around what types of companies fit in could take you in lots of different directions. And then at that point, you're starting to get down to attributes of a company. So Do you need a management team? Do you not want a management team? Because you have the management team and you just want clients. How do you care about union, non-union, real estate? Do you want to own real estate? You don't want to own real estate. So, you know, you start to figure out, well, okay, we know what our strategy is. What are the attributes of the type of business we want to acquire? And if it's technology, what type of technology? Should there be patents or, you know, and so you start to go through this exercise where you're drilling down to a pretty deep level so everybody's clear about what they want you know and and I'll say that there's no perfect business out there uh, and there's <laughs> yeah. no perfect scenario. So, you, you know, I don't, I rarely see where somebody gets a hundred percent of the things. Actually, I never see where somebody yeah, gets exactly. hundred percent of the 100,
1: things. hundred percent sure that you never get hundred percent. Yeah. It, it's yeah.
0: yeah. But you should be able to get the really important things and then everything you else get, you get after that is gravy, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I certainly think that there are, there are some things which are, you know, must haves and then there are a whole bunch of like to have. And if, if you haven't done that work to distinguish between those two and kind of rank those two to or weight those things so that you can make good decisions, you know, I always find it's deciding the process up front is going to be much easier than if you're trying to decide how you're going to decide in the heat of the moment, you know, we've mm-hmm. got to make a decision on this deal in the next 24 hours. Like, that's not the time <laughs> to start right. figuring out like, well, what's our criteria? <laughs>
0: We're exactly right. And if yeah. you're going to veer off course, at least you're doing it, you know, within a playbook that you've developed and you're making that decision Knowing the consequences because you've thought it all out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What are some of the things that people eh, forget about or, you know, don't consider or don't think about sort of naturally or, you know, offhand when they start thinking about this acquisition process in terms of these other companies? I mean, you mentioned a whole bunch of kind of considerations there, but is there anything that it's like people always forget about X and this always becomes an issue and it changes the deal or it changes the strategy once we get into it if they haven't thought about it?
0: Yeah, there's so many things. So you know, I'd start off with first You know, are you going to proactively source opportunities or are you going to be opportunistic and just wait for stuff to come by, you know, Mm -hmm. your desk? And so if you're in a wait and see mode, it could take a very, very long time. If you're going to do more of a targeted proactive search, the research will really matter. Having somebody who can do that research and really identify 100, 200, 300. I mean, we have some campaigns that we do for clients on the Sun Acquisition side where we've got 500 targets on a national basis that we're reaching out to. So you really have to understand that. The next thing I'd say is lending. So many clients come to us and say, you know, I've got a line of credit. I've had this banking relationship for 20, 30 years, and they just assume their bank's going to back them. And that is not the case. Uh, (laughs) Rude awakening. And so we work with clients ahead of time to make sure that we've got money behind us. We've got a bank that would has an appetite to do deals like the ones the client's interested in doing. And the banks will even go a step further and sort of give the client some thresholds. You know, look, we'd back you for this sort of deal, this size. You'd need to put this kind of equity in. Mm-hmm. We'd give you this kind of debt. And, you know, the amortization would look like this. So, you know, they really lay it out for the client. So I think those two are things that are often overlooked. And then... The really critical, critical things are once you find something, people underestimate the amount of time and effort (laughs) that uh, (laughs) diligence will take and the depths at which they'll need to go, especially if you're going to buy a smaller business, because most of these businesses do not have gap-compliant financials. And so you really need to dig into those financials to figure out what the true picture is like. And then I'd, I'd say the last thing on the list is the integration, both cultural from a people perspective, and then all the other integration aspects that go into an acquisition. You know, how are you going to merge your sales organizations, the technologies, the products, the marketing, the IT, you know, all of it. But by far, the number one thing is the people. Is there a cultural fit? And how does that look post acquisition?
1: Yeah, and how how do you suggest, or have you seen clients do that well in terms of you know really understanding what their what their culture is, what the target uh, acquisitions culture is, and and evaluating the delta there? How how do they actually do that?
0: So in some cases, people will hire outside firms Mm -hmm. that will come in and and do that analysis for them. And so if it's a large enough transaction and uh, the stakes are high enough, I highly recommend looking to an outside firm to do that. If it's not that large and it doesn't warrant that sort of expense, then you really need to dig in deep on the diligence side People need to, and management teams need Mm -hmm. to get together and they need to spend a significant amount of time together understanding what each other's goals and objectives are, how they operate today, how they make decisions, hiring, firing, Mm -hmm. all those sorts of things need to be understood so that where there are gaps, and there's going to be gaps, where there are gaps, they have a plan to you know, mesh those somehow or another and make it symbiotic. And in some cases, the decision might be, this is a great acquisition. It makes a lot of sense. But at the end of the day, we should probably just let this company operate as it's been operating and leave them alone and have mm-hmm. it be a separate P and L because merging it in with us is going to be a disaster.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think it's an important point is that it doesn't mean you can't do the deal. It really just it tells you how to shape the you know the post deal structure and you know if and when you're going to integrate you know people and teams and processes and stuff. It's Exactly, good point. Exactly. So let's flip to the other side. If you're you're the the company being acquired, uh, what what are some of the things that really drive kind of the valuation and you know, we can talk about valuation, we can talk about terms of the deal, we can talk about the other things that are important to the sell side that will kind of change the what it looks like and how it's shaped. What are the factors that get involved or what are the things that really going to drive that, the nature of the deal for that side?
0: Yeah. And if I could just take a step back for a second, because yep. you know, much like on the buy side, preparation is key. When I talk to owners of businesses and we have the luxury of getting ahead of the curve, I bring up three elements and the three elements are, are they personally ready? Is their business ready and are they emotionally ready do they have the post acquisition plan so just high level what do i mean by that are they personally ready means is there a state in order do they have enough money to go do what they want to do with or without the proceeds of the sale of the business if they need the money from the sale of the business is it going to give them enough so they can go do the next thing whether that's retirement or whatever so Mm -hmm. that's key understanding your personal readiness is job number one job number two is is your business ready And there are a host of things that we look at with clients we call value drivers. And what is the condition of your value drivers? Are there gaps in them? Are there significant gaps where we think we could make up some value if we have a little bit of time to work on it? Mm -hmm. And then the third piece is, you know, emotional readiness. What's your plan after the business? What are you going to go do? You know, is something pulling you away? And I always worry when a client isn't being pulled away from the business for some reason. (laughs) I was at a conference about a year ago maybe a little bit more and they had done a straw poll and the results were that 75% of the owners who had sold a business were remorseful not because they didn't get enough money for the business yeah but because they didn't know what they were going to go do next.
1: <laughs> I laugh because I've seen so many deals. Actually, I've seen so many deals in the 11th hour blow up because the owner freaks out. I mean, they're like, mm-hmm. oh shit, Like, what am I going to do after this? And, mm-hmm. and they decide, like, I don't have a plan. I'd rather just stay in the business. So they knowingly or unknowingly sabotage the deal. And honestly, it's one of the first conversations I have when I'm working with an owner and we're looking at growing and scaling the business for the purposes of selling. I'm like, what are you going to do after you sell? And if they can't tell me a plan, that kind of becomes job number one because without that, and I like the way you put it, there's got to be some kind of pull, something that's pulling them out of business, not Mm -hmm. pushing them out of the business. If they feel like they're getting pushed out, it's not, it's just not good. Not good. No, it's exactly right. So in terms of the the value drivers, what goes in, I mean, particularly for these service-based companies because that's our audience here, what goes into valuing, you know, or kind of coming up with a quote-unquote valuation of a service company? What are the factors that really go into that that change that number in a meaningful way?
0: Yeah, so having sold a fair number of service-based businesses, uh, one of the key things I will tell you that drives value up or down is how much that owner is a part of the business. Have they been able to pull themselves out of the daily operations or are they still enmeshed in the sales, the supplier relationships, making key decisions day in and day out? And when, again, when we have the luxury of working with owners who have service-based businesses, we, we work hard to show them the value of extracting themselves from the daily operations. Yeah. And we can show them how much more valuable their business is if they get out of the daily operations and can turn that over. And that's always a hard thing for owners because what that means is one, they, they have to start trusting people and giving mm-hmm. over responsibilities to other folks, but it also might cost them real dollars, right? Now they might have to hire people and spend real dollars to have folks perform things that they're doing today. So it reduces their immediate cash flow. But in the long run, if those folks can help grow the business, not only are they going to get back to the money they were making before, they'll probably exceed that. But now the multiple at which your business can garner in a sale goes up as well so it's got a multiplying effect for for owners of service-based businesses and i i, I see that Usually is being one of the number one issues in a service business.
1: Yeah, and and, uh, having having sold a service business myself, I can attest to that. I mean, that's one of the big things that all the people that were looking to acquire us were were looking at was how involved, how critical I was to the various parts of the business, and uh, you know, being able to demonstrate that. Hey, look, there were processes in place, there were people in place that could do this. I could take a six week vacation, and you know, it wouldn't impact the business. Like that was a good test or a good certainly helped the discussions around valuation you know what are some of the other things that you look at the value drivers that will really be levers in that uh, that price point
0: yeah so clearly the financials right are the financials clean mm-hmm. and what i mean by that is are they gap compliant and if they're not gap compliant are you at least minimizing the number of discretionary expenses that you're putting through the business so that you're showing the largest amount of ebitda above the line profit. So why is that important? It's so important because banks rely on that number when they're going to lend money to a prospective buyer. Yeah. And the more discretionary expenses you have in your business, the less likely the bank is to get comfortable with that transaction. And that means you could potentially be leaving money on the table, Whether it's an absolute purchase price or if you're required to carry a larger portion of the business post-sale in the form of a seller note or a holdback or something like that. And so, you know, that running clean financials really matters. The other one is client concentrations. Mm -hmm. You know, we've worked with service-based businesses where, you know, one client is 30, 40% of their overall revenues. And that will drive valuations down in a heartbeat. And so trying to mitigate, you know, any client concentrations that you have is really important. It will pay you big dividends. And the benchmark is that, you know, if any one client is less than five percent, you're in pretty good shape. That means no one client loss should be able to bring the business down, especially a service based business
1: yeah uh, I, I, it's hard. I think a lot of surface-based businesses is certainly kind of earlier stage you know they, they end up getting big clients, which is you know it's a natural kind of part of strategy, right? You have a good client, you find other ways to serve them, you grow the account like it makes sense on one level, but yes, from a kind of valuation point of view, I can see how it, it ends up kind of hurting you on that side. Yeah. what are some of the things you can do if you have some of these issues? you know if you're still highly involved in the company, you know you're in there closing deals, you're driving sales, you've got some customer that's 35% of your revenue. What are some of the things you can do or how should you prioritize or or kind of develop a plan for getting ready for sale so that you can increase the value or or decrease some of these risk factors for the acquirer?
0: Yeah. So when we work with clients, there's probably 10 or 12 of these value drivers and it it depends on, you know, the type of business that you're operating. But Mm -hmm. assume there's 10 to 12 of these and clearly there are some that are more important than others. Some are out of your control and so I would work with somebody, you know, an advisor if you can, that can help you understand where your gaps exist and how significant they are and where you can move the needle the most. And so if it's you being so much a part of the business and moving that to a self-managing business. You need a roadmap and and a good advisor should be able to help you do that. If you can't afford an advisor, you know, I think at a minimum, you should have a high level assessment done so that then at least you have the knowledge of where the gaps exist. And then you can go build a plan to, to mitigate those. Yeah. That, that would be my advice.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Let's talk about the transaction itself because I think you know a lot of people, having talked to a lot of folks who have sold their companies, you know, we share these kind of war stories of you know what happens in the heat of the moment. But what you do expect if you're a business owner and you're kind of going down this process of selling your company, you get these uh, letters of intent, you have this kind of process, you do due diligence, then there's you know final offers, purchase and sale. Like, just kind of walk us through from the seller side how, how that works and what they need to be kind of prepared for. In terms of you know what typically happens in these deals and and what you need to be like how do you navigate these things effectively as a seller
0: yeah so this process is a bumpy process and lots of starts and stops and it can be incredibly frustrating for lots of folks because as you pointed out earlier in the interview people go through this maybe once in their lifetime so they're not used to the rhythm of an m&a transaction and so what it'd say to people about the process is, is be prepared for six to 12 months, mm-hmm. be prepared that it's going to be incredibly intrusive. You know, folks that are coming in to buy it are going to want to know everything. Yeah and it doesn't mean they need to know everything day one that's a word of caution to owners of businesses to not open up their books and Mm -hmm. records and their kimono day one but over time if they have a serious buyer they're going to have to open up you know everything so the buyer you know can get comfort with what they're buying you know as far as the process goes a couple of key pieces of advice that i would offer are one if you can go to market and really understand what's out there uh, in the way of buyers. Oftentimes I will see owners get into a negotiation with one buyer and they really don't have any perspective on what the market will bear. And so you only have one data point. Well, one data point doesn't tell you what the market's willing to do. And so you don't have to run an auction process, but you should at least go out into the market and have an advisor really sift through and do their research and figure out who are some good potential acquirers for the business. And you can do a rifle shot to go after those folks individually and see if they're interested. And if so, you know, at what price are they interested? So that's a mistake I see happen often. The other thing is because diligence is so involved, I recommend to sellers that they really start to put together books and records. Sounds like Bruce, when you sold your business, you had policies Mm -hmm. and procedure manuals. Do all of that work early in the process because as you get into the process, you're gonna be asked to be part of meetings. There are gonna be lots of questions coming your way and you're gonna have to provide that information pretty quickly or people will lose confidence. So if you can pull it together early, It'll be able to, you know, allow you to be nimble. The other thing that goes with that is. You can get sucked into this process, but you still have a business to operate. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so important to make sure that you stay focused on your business for two reasons. One, the last thing you want is for your business to start to lose steam. Mm -hmm. If it does, while you're in the middle of an M&A transaction, you've lost a ton of value and buyers are smart enough. They're going to be asking you for updated financials every month. And if they see some downward trend, they're going to look to renegotiate that deal.
1: Yeah, the infamous haircut.
0: (laughs) Exactly. But the second reason is not all deals close. And one thing you don't want to have on your hands is a business that declines in value, and now you've got to pick up the pieces, you didn't get it sold, and you got to work even harder. So staying focused on your business while you're trying to sell it is really key
1: yeah I can't emphasize that one enough i've I've known many people personally I've talked to many people that have have gone through that process, and it doesn't turn out you know not all deals actually um close and and so then they are you know having not focused on the business very well for the last three six months and you know they haven't sold any new deals revenues are down employees aren't very happy you know and now they it takes them a year or so to build that back up and kind of recover from it before they're ready to go at it again so um exactly. Exactly. Making sure you're balancing your time and and not uh, taking your eye off the ball is is important. Yeah, sure. Dominic, this has been great. If people want to find out more about you, about K2, about Sun Acquisitions, what's the best way to get that information?
0: Well, Bruce, a couple of things. I I would recommend that they just reach out to me directly at Dominic. It's D O M E N I C at K2 Advisor, and advisor is A D V I -S S E R k2advisor.com and i also offer up to your audience that there are several free assessments on the k2 advisor website and i would urge anybody who's thinking about buying or selling a business to visit the website you can go to the exit page if you're looking to potentially exit your business or the acquisition page if you're looking to acquire something. Take the free assessment. It only takes five minutes. You'll get an immediate score between zero and 100, which will give you your, you know, readiness. And then we will email to you both your score and the questions and all of the answers. So you'll have all
1: that information available. That's great. I'll put the links on the show notes here so that people can click through and get those. Dominic, this has been a pleasure. Always a great conversation to talk to people who, in the transaction space, that's a goal for a lot of companies is to actually get to that point, make that deal. So it's fun to talk to someone who does that on a regular basis, and I I really appreciate the time today.
0: Well, I appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt.